Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the suitcase and the scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, back for another edition of the suitcase and the scribe. Scott Burnside here in lovely Atlanta. Michael McKenna, as always in St. Louis. What a treat this morning. Crack of dawn in Tampa Bay. Nick Paul, thank you for joining us. The one of the newest members of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and uh, and getting at it early. Thanks for getting up and coming to hang out with us. I know Mike put a little he put a little pressure on you because you guys have some history. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, definitely excited to play with Mike um, over a couple of years. So happy to jump on. Yeah, it was pretty quick between us, but it, you left a lasting impression on me, uh, and it's really oh, been a lot of fun to see one. the. Pre- yeah, really good one. I, I was digging in the archives and found a picture of you, I think, being first star of the game. And I was pers- allowing you to come on the ice afterwards. And just, I don't know, man, like I, I've been so intrigued to see where your career's gone because when we first, you know, spent a lot of time together in the 2018 training camp, you know, your career was kind of at a crossroads with the Senators, the NHL. You hadn't made the NHL full-time yet. And it really took off. I mean, the following year, it's it started to turn into, wow, like, he's doing it, man. I'm proud of this guy. This is great. And to see your journey now into being a leader and a mentor within that room and being traded to Tampa, were you at something of a crossroads when we first met in 2018, you know, not knowing where things were going to go? Did you think the NHL dream was was still there and available and that you were going to eventually make it happen? Yeah, um, it was tough because, as you know, the older you get, the less chances you get. You get a kick at the can. So, um, I was definitely uh, in a space where I knew there wasn't a lot of time left. I had to do everything I could to make this league and show them how valuable I could be to a team. Um, and luckily, uh, DJ came in and gave me that shot and kind of realized what kind of player I am and what I bring and what I bring to not just the ice but to the room. So, uh, him giving me a chance and, and me just being ready to, to kind of jump on that opportunity. And um, luckily I had some good teammates around me to, to help me out and make me feel comfortable and bring my game to that next level. But um, yeah, like you said, I, I didn't know what the heck was going on. The NHL was always my dream, but um, chances, <laughs> chances don't come around uh, every single year. They start to diminish. So 
um, yeah, I'm super excited to where I am now. You know, there's been a lot of hard work, a lot of mental strength going uh, up and down uh, through the AHL and NHL. So I'm um, happy to be where I am now. But obviously, I have goals to, to, to better my career and better my my teammates and, and everything I do. So, mm-hmm. I, Nick, I'm curious because I was, I was going back and looking at it and there is – you know, the first in Binghamton and then when the AHL team moves to Belleville, that there is some movement back and forth is, you know, do you rely on people? Is it all within yourself or like, how do you make sure that you don't get sort of overwhelmed by the fact that it's not a straight line for you? Is like, is how does that happen for you? It's honestly just going through it. You know, you can say you're, you'll be ready for adversity and toughness and, and hardship when it comes, but when it really comes, it hits a little different. So I think just going through the pain and going through the letdown and, and picking myself back up. And obviously I had a great supporting crew. You know, my family was always there for me. Uh, my fiance was there for me. Uh, teammates were always there for me. So I was always surrounded by a good group of people. So for picking myself up and having people come and support me and help me better myself, whether that's putting in extra time after practice and, and teammates helping and jumping in and then bettering themselves as well, whether it's venting to my parents or, or my brother or my fiance and helping them, helping me stay positive because um, things can get pretty negative when uh, your dreams are shut down and you got to kind of restart. So just getting in that mindset where like, okay, it didn't happen this time, but you know, I'm going to work harder. And next time I go, I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm going to do something with it. So uh, definitely uh, strong mentally and a good support system. First time we ever got on the ice against one another when you were in Binghamton, and I can't even remember what team I was playing with because there are too many to, to list. Uh, I noticed immediately your size. Like, you're a big dude. Like, six four, thick, play heavy. Like, all the attributes that scouts want. But what I didn't know was that when you were draft eligible, you were 5'6". Like, I, I can't imagine being at that age and looking around at the OHL and thinking – these guys are big. How can I ever get there? And then all of a sudden you go to this big growth spurt. Like, was it instilled in you from a young age to have something of an underdog mentality just from, from being smaller when you were younger? Yeah, well, I started off real big and then I just kind of stayed there until I was like seven, 16, 17. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't really see it. I just saw like my parents always just installed like work ethic and compete and, and, and be the, so I didn't really look at the size. I just kind of looked at, individual battles whether it would be on the ice off the ice um my dad was always like first on puck it doesn't matter who who's there what size you're gonna win that puck and that 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 has to be your mindset so I kind of got this mindset of just trying to be the best at all times um obviously not on my team competing against each other but when it comes to, to to opposing teams and after practice like putting in the work so um it was definitely weird for my body getting adjusted because I wasn't drafted my draft year and then I shot up to like 5'11 the next year and then 6'2. So it was a big adjustment for my body to kind of get used to, to being big and, and clumsy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's why I look so big now because I'm, I'm still trying to learn on bending my knees. I'm standing pretty straight. But um, yeah, no, it was definitely an adjustment. And then my game kind of, it just kind of followed suit too because it just like, it just helped me win those battles and get be more physical in the corner and heavy on pucks. So um, yeah. So, uh, Nick, I'm I'm always curious about these moments. And Mike and I were part of a show during trade deadline day and how, you know, trying to keep up with things. So walk us through 
trade the, the moment that you find out that you're going from Ottawa to Tampa, how does that unfold? Where are you at? What's what, what was that like? What's that 24 hours like for you? Yeah, it was a little crazy. Um, that's the morning I kind of figured out that I was going to be traded. Uh, agent called me and he said, yeah, um, just said, it's not going to work between contracts. I think they're, they're calling around right now. So I said, okay. So, uh, my family actually uh, drove down that week just to kind of be with me and, um, help with the uncertainty and, and just the support. So we were just kind of not sitting around all day, but maybe pacing around just seeing what was going to happen. You know, your career's in the air, can go absolutely anywhere. So, um, ended up being around seven o'clock. We went for dinner to kind of take the pressure off. And then on the way there, we pull into the parking lot and then I get a call from, um, Ottawa GM <laughs> and then get off the phone with him and then Tampa GM and then the coach and then a whole bunch of, uh, calls to follow suit. Luckily I was dual cause they were worried about my papers and everything mm-hmm. and getting over quick. And then, um, just calling uh, the staff, all the staff calling, introducing himself, all the text from the players, like a good hour, two hours. There was uh, pretty overwhelming with excitement and, and texts and calls and trying to get back to everyone. And um, then the next day fly out, join the team in Carolina and, and just kind of meeting everyone for the first time, new faces and, and trying to get to know. And um, as you know, Mike, it's not easy, uh, especially for the first time, but I know just being yourself and just kind of, letting the guys figure you out and you're not trying to, to be something you're not. So that's the kind of advice I went uh, with from uh, previous players that have been traded and, and coaches just go there and be yourself and things will fit in. So the guys here have been absolutely amazing, really welcomed me into the group, um, coaching staff, uh, staff all the way around. So I couldn't be more excited to be here. Well, your personality helps. Walk in, smile, <laughs> say hi to everybody. It makes a huge difference, man. I, it's why I immediately gravitated to you is I could feel that. I, I look at your career, and despite only being in the Ottawa organization previous to Tampa Bay, like you, there was a lot of turnover there as well. You had a lot of different head coaches, even between the American League and the NHL. Uh, I'm curious how maybe that's played into the transition now going not just to a new team, but another new coach and John Cooper um, and, and on top of that, just how different it must be walking in from Ottawa, no playoffs, Tampa, Stanley Cup champions. Can you feel a difference in the room or are there more similarities than people might realize between the two? Uh, it's a bit of both. There's obviously similarities, um, but um, you can just kind of feel like, especially here, it's a lot older team in Ottawa is a younger team. You can kind of feel the presence of like the oldness, like uh, even the uh, last couple of games, um, third period, you can just feel that professionalism that, Hey, they've done this before. They know how to win. They're just going to gut it out and, and get it done. Right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I couldn't be more excited to be here. Um, the staff and everything here is just, it's first class. Everything's run first class. And I mean, Hey, you're going from Ottawa is minus 40 and I walk in and I got shorts and a t-shirt on. So <laughs> that, that, uh, is definitely a, a different thing as well. But, um, like you said, touching on, uh, all the turnover, I mean, I've played with so many players and, and had so many coaches. And the biggest thing for me is just to be a coachable player. You know, I'm not one to go and, and have bad body language and throw my hands in the air and complain about ice or whatever, whatever my job needs to be for that night is what I do, whether it's right wing, left wing center, PK, uh, I just try and do my role to the best that I can, and I just, just do whatever I can to help the team win. So uh, I'm just 
like I'm just trying to be a, a coach's uh, coach's guy that can rely on me and uh, kind of know he can put me anywhere and I'm not going to fuss about it. I, I actually happened to be in Raleigh for your first game, scored on – it was early. I, I'm trying to remember when you scored. Nice little deflection going to the net. What's that like to step in and – to have um, a moment where you contribute right away with the new group and you don't just maybe how has the first week been and has it been different than you imagined it, you know, when, when you were starting to realize that you were headed to Tampa? Yeah. I mean, getting a goal in your first game with the new team is always uh, a big uh, weight lifted off. Um, You know, sometimes give you some pressure to to kind of contribute and, and feel like you're fitting in, but to get that right off the, the bat was, was pretty huge. And, um, honestly, lifestyle, I mean, I've been living in hotels my whole career. So, um, no, that getting, goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fellow well, Marriott so, points guys, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, a couple free trips, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. So it, it, it's been awesome. Like I said, the guys have been so welcoming and making me feel a part of things, uh, inviting me to dinner, really into getting to know some guys. And I mean, I think the hardest part of being traded is kind of living out of a suitcase. But if you've always been doing that, it's kind of it's kind of normal. It just feels secondhand to me. So I feel comfortable in the hotel. I'm I'm used to to, to living the lifestyle and, and kind of coming in here and uh, putting my work shift in. You know, every day I come in here, I try to better myself and and figure out ways to, to better my game. So I got a couple things that <laughs> I want to work on today. So um, I'll be doing that. But yeah, clock in, clock out, and 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 be ready for the next day. Everything about Tampa is towards winning a Stanley Cup. It's been like that for a long time. Uh, and you haven't had the chance to play playoff games in pro hockey. I mean, it's been since the OHL in 2015 that you had a taste of playoffs. But you do have international competition. 2021, got to play in the World Championships for Canada and Riga Latvia. Gold medal clinching goal. So, you know, what can you transfer from those experiences, e- even at that international stage, at the end of a season uh, towards what you're going to be doing now. I mean, I I'd have to imagine that experience even dating back to your OHL time is something that you can draw upon, right? Yeah. Uh, the big thing is I haven't had really, uh, I, I wouldn't say meaningful games, but when it comes on the crunch time time and down the line, uh, we haven't really been in a spot to play playoff game, get into playoffs or play playoff games. So, I mean, I'm just excited because I feel like that's where my game elevates um, OHL, uh, like you said, uh, the worlds, I just feel like when the pressure's on and, and some people crack, some people rise to the occasion. I just feel like I'm that guy that I rise to it. I, it's my kind of style. I like the big, heavy, hard, uh, no room, uh, kind of hockey. So I'm, I'm super excited to have a chance here in Tampa Bay already won back to back amazing organization, amazing team. And to be a part of that and be a part of, uh, possibly winning a Stanley cup is huge. So my uh, compete and my excitement and my love for the game right now is through the roof. And I'm just trying to get myself in a position where playoff time comes. I'm that big player. I'm, I'm driving plays. I'm cycling it deep. I'm getting pucks on net. I'm trying to score uh, some big goals and, and, and just do my job properly, you know, good defensively hard on draws, uh, give absolutely nothing up. So I'm super excited for, playoff hockey and I feel like that's that's where my game really elevates yeah you mentioned your family Nick and how important they've been uh, in terms of being a support network through this period you grew up 
uh, just on the west side of Toronto, right in Mississauga. And did you not did you have the whole backyard rink, that whole Canadian thing? I I did, was doing my Wikipedia page, and it. <laughs> do you, I don't know if, if you think about those moments, especially now. You you have an opportunity that you haven't had before. Do you think about those moments and you know sort of how, you know how it began for you and what what your foundation is like? Yeah, I have a brother that's eight years older. So ever since I was born, he was kind of, I've been at the rink and, and he was kind of my idol and I always wanted to do what he did. And as soon as I could walk, I feel like I had skates on because um, my dad used to build a rink in the backyard every uh, every winter, wake up every two hours flood for us, like really put in the dedication. And he's uh, honestly, my mom, and my dad have been the biggest support and, and um, they did absolutely everything for us you know they didn't have a lot of money growing up but they found a way to put us in hockey put us in sports put us in activities and and kind of we had no idea the situations that they were in so for them to do that and support and, and give us everything that we needed to succeed is absolutely amazing but yeah like you said uh canadian boy who's growing up everyone's dream just kind of on the backyard shooting the puck into the net pretending it's a a, a big goal game winner um and just kind of out there all the time and, and, and wanting that dream. So um, it, it was, uh, like I said, big support for my family and giving us those opportunities. On something of a somber note, a couple of days ago, uh, Senator's owner, Eugene Melnick passed away. And, you know, one of the things that I think he will be remembered for in that community is a lot of the charitable work that he did uh, and something that you got involved with points by Paul supporting mental health with young people in the Ottawa area. And, you know, you've been really open about your own mental health and, uh, I, I just want to give you the chance really to to say what it's meant to you to be able to be public with it, how it's helped you maybe, how you're looking to support others in helping themselves and trying to be in the right mental space. Because I look at you, I mean, your career has been up and down in adversity and someone that people can really gravitate towards to help them. So um, from that perspective, is it something that you're looking to, to continue on into the future and and really what the senator's foundation may have meant in starting that. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely, um, I definitely think it's a big thing, especially with, uh, the lockdowns and, and what we've gone through the last couple of years. But I feel like if you look at my story and you kind of me being open and sharing my struggles really helps other people. And if me being vulnerable and, and telling my past and my struggles helps other people, then I'm all for it. You know, I, I've kind of been a guy where I don't, uh, everything's not about me. It's, it's helping the people around me. So, um, you know, mental health is a, is, is a, is a big thing right now. It, it's hard to deal with, but the biggest thing is being able to talk to people, you know, you always have support. Uh, the, a lot of people think that it, it's weak or um, it's not okay to, to express their feelings and how their feelings, maybe they don't feel like that. That's the right way to feel, but you know what, you're feeling that. So I feel like it's actually strong as a person to, to be able to confide in someone and tell people how you feel and, and, and get help if you need help or if you just need to talk to someone and talk it out, find someone to talk it out. You know, people aren't as bad as uh, people think they are. You know, you, you grab someone that's close to you and you tell them how you feel. They're not going to uh, tell you, oh, that's the wrong way to feel or that's wrong or uh, they're, most likely they're going to help you. So the biggest thing is is being able to communicate and, and having someone that you can uh, confide in and, and help you. And maybe, you know what, you you tell him or you tell uh, that person you're going through something and they might be going through the same thing and, and you don't even know it. And I just made that connection. And now you're not only helping yourself, but you're helping another person. So um, Points by Paul is something that 
means a lot to me. And uh, like I've openly shared my story and, and hopefully helped a bunch of people get through theirs and or, or open up or, or whatever it needs to do to help them get better or realize that um, they're not fighting this alone. So uh, that's something I definitely will be uh, trying to continue in the future. Uh, I'm still doing uh, points by Paul for the, for the rest of the season and, and following through with that. So um, yeah, I just need to get, get a couple more points here to get some more money out of my pocket. <laughs> just, just before we let you go, Nick, I wonder if that part of it was surprising for you, because as you say, you know, sometimes there's, you know, we talk a lot about it, the stigma and, and, and certainly in sports and maybe in, you know, certainly in hockey in the past where, you know, people might have been unwilling to, to share those kinds of feelings. Were there parts of, of being open that maybe surprised you in terms of the reaction, whether it was, from within the hockey community or maybe people that you encountered outside of hockey when, when you are so open about it. Yeah. You know, like growing up and um, being one of the hockey players, I feel like it's always like, you got to be tough. Like you walk shots, it hurts, but you got to tough it out. And it, it's one of those things where um, your feelings are kind of the same way. Like you don't want to open up because you feel weak or you feel like uh, you're not this big, strong, macho hockey player, but honestly it has nothing to do with it. And I found the more that I opened up, the better I felt, the better I played, the more uh, friends and connections that I, I, I made, um, people relating to me and saying, hey, you know what, that takes a lot of guts. Like you help um, you help me realize this or and then you make an instant connection. And now your support system for them, their support system for you, just the connections all around that you open the door for is, is huge and just being vulnerable. And like I said, it's OK to talk like it's actually stronger. And people respect it more that you're open about it. Um, you know, you're not trying to hide it. You're not trying to fight a battle by yourself because as you know, <laughs> life can get really high and get really low. And if you're fighting that by yourself and you're in that really high and you go really low, you need someone, you need people in your corner to help you to battle that and get out of that and get to that main, that level state of mind. So um, definitely help with connections. And I mean, uh, being open and talking about, my struggles and my feelings have that's definitely been the best thing that that's happened for me. Well, it's been awesome getting a chance to talk to you. I know you've got to get to practice. Uh, the only thing that I hold against you is that you are a dual citizen and you chose to play for Canada repeatedly and international, not the U S. So <laughs> I think we'll get past that and be okay. But from Scott and myself yeah. wishing you all the best of the luck, man. Like this is an exciting Thank time. I, I can't wait to see where things go for, for you and the lightning and, and, and continue watching as your career continues to unfold before us. So thanks for spending some time with Thank us today. Thanks very On much. a last note, I just like to, to add, um, I just wanted to pay my condolences to, to Eugene uh, Melnick's family. Um, you know, what he did for the auto community, uh, with the hockey team in the, uh, with his fundraisers, uh, the way he loved the game, you know, myself, all my teammates, everyone that's played for Ottawa, the memories that he's made has been absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and I mean, it's a, it was sad to hear the news. So I just wanted to, my condolences to, to his family. Um, and yeah, but yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, Mike, you know, miss the old school, stack the pads on me <laughs> in practices. <laughs> So, I do too. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Nick, and, and best of luck to you in Tampa. And who knows me? See Mike and I Stanley Cup final time. You never know. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll cross paths in, in in person down the road. But thanks again for taking the time. Mike, that was outstanding. Uh, 
just a just a great chat with Nick, and I'm I'm so glad that you thought of that, and uh, and good work on you for helping to set that up. That was uh, he's going to be that team. I was watching they they played the night before our taping. They beat Carolina in overtime, came from behind to win in overtime, and uh, man, there are a lot of good teams in the East. I can't wait for the playoffs, but Tampa is man, they're going to be right there, right. Again, yeah. they're they're going to be an absolute handful without it goes without saying. So yeah, it's it's the same thing as last year. As long as Tampa's in, you never know what can happen. You've got Vasilevsky who can win games single handedly, and then the rest of the club's playing so well. Uh, and and what is kind of the interesting thing about Nick to me is that in some ways he's being brought in to replace Barkley Goudreau a year after. And they were teammates with the Brampton Battalion, uh, North Bay Battalion back yeah. in the OHL. So there, there's something of a similar player there. Um, and, and what I love about Nick that he can bring to that team is he'll probably be a winger, I would imagine, with Tampa more likely than center. But, man, he can take draws when they need it. And he's a yeah. big body that he can handle himself in the faceoff circle. And you, you can't have enough of those type of players. It's exactly why Julian Breesbaugh went after him to fill that void. So I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see where it goes for him. Uh, you know, obviously this year, but also in this summer, who knows where he ends up in, in next season. So I was excited to talk to him about it. And I was excited about last night's hockey, Scott, oh because well, I just, so wow. I just, I'm just thinking, and then I didn't ask him anyone to put him on the spot, but very, I mean, it's tight still. And we still got, we got, a, you know, four weeks or so of regular season hockey to go, but Tampa, Toronto, a very real possibility. And what an opportunity mm-hmm. for, Nick to play his first playoff games basically at home or, you know, a series that would take him home for his first playoff experience. Man, that would be man, How amazing. Gives me some chills thinking about yeah. a team for Toronto series. So, you know, he's kind of your, he's kind of your quintessential Toronto kid, you know, like <clears throat> in a lot of ways, the more that I've spoken to old teammates, you know, not everybody grows up with a life of privilege. A lot of them have had parents that have made sacrifices, done everything they could to push their kid through the system. And I couldn't think of a cooler homecoming if that would happen. But yeah. I, I could also see a world where Boston and Toronto face each other in the first round. Okay. And we yep. saw that last night. And Toronto actually played very well, but Toronto lost a lot of bodies last night, oh Scott. Okay. Peter Mrazik's hurt again, groin injury. And you've also, Labushkin is somehow injured by Taylor Hall. I'm not sure what yeah. caught him, but he's leaves the game. Hall takes a puck to the head. The Leafs might have won 6-4, but there was some collateral damage in that game that Man. I'd be a little concerned about, wouldn't you, Scott? Well, I, and it, I got to know Peter a little bit, spending some time in Raleigh the last couple of years. And, you know, such an important, you know, you go back to 2019 and that team makes the playoffs for the first time in a decade. And they, you know, against all odds, march to an Eastern conference final. Um, and between uh, Peter Mrazek and Curtis McElhaney, you know, sort of in some ways an unlikely goaltending duo that takes that team. But Peter Mrazek was a really important part of that Carolina team and, and what they, you know, the foundation that's been built there. And it just has not happened for him in Toronto and, and I, I, you, you feel for the guy, but another core, you know, groin issue, like, mm-hmm. you know, you got a month left. He's just come back. He has, I mean, it's a bit of chaos in Toronto, even though they've strung together some wins. 
that goaltending come playoff time still remains very much fluid, I think is probably a charitable way to put it. What do you you make of that? Yeah, I'd be really concerned. Honestly, I thought that Dubas needed to shore up his goaltending. I I just, man, look at Minnesota. They got Talbot and Flurry. There's no question marks there. Yep. I don't think there's any question marks, honestly, in Colorado until they lose, like if yep. they were to lose, like yeah. Kemper and Franco's. Like these teams all have goaltenders that at minimum are good NHL goalies and they pair them with a great one in a lot of cases. Kemper last night was phenomenal against the Flames. I mean, 40 plus saves. I, I do think that that's going to be the Achilles heel of Toronto at some point. Um, so we'll see where it goes with them. But, you know, we talk about Colorado, like, they keep manage to keep winning even with players out. But do you, what, what's your level of concern with this guy? Like, and how do you feel about Nathan McKinnon presumably being hurt fighting? Cause I got some strong opinions on this, but I, I want to hear yours first. Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm listen. If I never see another hockey fight, I'm okay with that. Like I, I get all of the excuses. I've actually, it's funny. We, I, I think Matt Larkin's working on an oral history of the, uh, of the uh, 97 uh, Red Wings abs brawl, which I actually happened to cover. I happened to be there. I've seen some Titanic fights that, you know, I, I watched uh, Max Talbot fight in Philly. Oh, I'm not going to, it's, it's going to escape my brain now, but a fight that did seem to help turn the tide of an important playoff game. But listen, it never, it listen, those things almost never happen. It's a, to me, it's a fantasy that fighting has, you know, an impact on a game or a series or whatever. So when I, when I see that Nathan McKinnon is once again unable to play because of injury and this time possibly because of a fight with Matt Dumba, and, and I think of this team, and we don't know the, the extent of it, although Jared Bednar did not seem overly confident about Nathan McKinnon's ability to return in a a timely fashion. I just, I think of what if Colorado ends up, they play Dallas in the first round, Nathan McKinnon can't play. What if you, what if you lose that series? What if you play seven games where you didn't need to, and it costs you down the road? What, like, is there anything more stupid than one of the game's (laughs) greatest players not playing for a length of time and hurting his team's chances at achieving what they, this the, they're the best team in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, to me, it is so ludicrous. I, anyway, I, you know, listen, I, oh. I got no ill will for McKinnon or the abs. They're a great team. They continue to win. They have all year. You think of, you know, Gabriel Landeskog has been out for a while. That's why I, I you know, in my shadow heart ballot, I still keep Nazem Kadri mm. right there because because of all the things that have happened to that team in terms of their elite players being out. That he has been unbelievable, and that team, you know, they're going to get Arturi Lekkinen integrated, you know, and that's going to be an important part of it. But I just think it's such a shame if if that's how this plays out for Nathan McKinnon. It's just a waste. I'll look at that situation, Colorado, and think that they have won a lot of games this year without McKinnon. Yeah. And now without Landis Scott, they've been able to roll people regardless. Um, you know, Scott, I, I have the same feelings on fighting that I think it's a sideshow in the NHL a lot, especially the staged fights that have largely gone away. But when two guys get angry enough at one another and they want to toss mitts, 
I'm fine with it. Now, th- this was your prototypical big hit half to fight scenario. But I'll tell you what, I'd much rather Nathan McKinnon play hard than play soft. Yeah. And yeah. with Gabriel Landeskog out of the lineup, your team's looking for leadership. I had no problem with it. And the unfortunate part is, yeah, everybody said immediately, what if he gets hurt? What if he gets, well, now he is. But I also watch play. I also watch and wince when I see top players blocking shots. Yeah. You know, you can be hurt as easily blocking a shot as you can in a fight. And is it ideal? No. Is it a good look? Absolutely not. But man, I want Nathan McKinnon with an edge. I want him playing hard. Because I think that's when he's engaged, when he takes it right to the line without crossing over. So it's it's one of those where you look back in retrospect and go, oh, I wish he hadn't done that. But in the moment, you're thinking this is the right thing, you know. So and it's tough to take that away from a player. Um, so I, it's a big deal, man. He's out for a while, and they've had players missing, but that was a big game last night for them to beat the Flames, who are going to be one of their head-to-head rivals, Minnesota. The, the last Minnesota Colorado game. Oh, God, was it good. Like, just intense battle scrums after every whistle. Like, we're really starting to see the big dogs come out now, Scott, because you look at scores last night around the league as we tape this on Wednesday, the Tuesday night scores, all the teams that should have won won, with the exception of the Pittsburgh Rangers game, which was a kind of a toss-up yeah. and a great game. So this is kind of plays into trade doesn't deadline, doesn't it, my friend? Well, I was the big, just looking do- at, the big dogs get bigger, you know. <laughs> I was looking. I was just looking up because I saw a clip of Nick Delorier uh, in Minnesota <laughs> throwing Tough the ombre, dude. Like, oh my god! Well, and, and against I, I Nick actually, Sealer. Oh, oh I, I, you know, again, you remember it wasn't too long ago that we were having the discussion about why well, I, I called Bill Guerin and wrote a piece for Daily Faceoff when the t- the Wild was sliding, and he was like, "Listen." And the weird part is he said, we're not trading our way out of it, but actually he kind of did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> like, he sort of did. <laughs> you know, he gets Marc-Andre Fleury and, uh, and Nick Delorier. Listen, there were other teams and, you know, I'm not talking about a school here. There were other teams that talked about Nick Delorier, you know, and I, you know, I think of the Carolina Hurricanes and, you know, some of the internal debate in Carolina, are they tough enough? And again, we we equate sometimes equate toughness with fighting, Alan Nathan McKinnon. But I, it, there is it's toughness. Nick Paul brings toughness to that Tampa oh, yeah. lineup. So oh yeah, um, there's questions about that. And teams ask themselves: Are we tough enough to win a playoff round or two or three or go to a final? Mm-hmm. And that and and obviously, I've seen Nick Delorier's. You know, he's so open and candid. And he's like. You know, we don't want, uh, you know, Felino or Kevin Fiala. We don't want people, those, I'm here to do this job. So they and don't have to. And it, I we get, saw it last. I get real. the impression that he likes it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the guys that always made me nervous are the ones that really liked fighting. Yeah. You know, those are the guys that you go to the bar with and you just knew that you'd have to have two or three people around them at all times because they get twitchy at some point and something would set them off. It's like, it's time to leave guys. <laughs> I mean, I remember one really, really tough guy from NHL and American league that we just knew like he, he was so nice, but then it's just like the wires cross man. And, and we knew we'd have to get him out of there because he's going to hurt somebody again. <laughs> But dude, like it's a great point for 
for Minnesota. Like you, you don't want Greenway and Felino to have to do that all the time. And I think that's, you know, it's something I asked recently, I think of David Backus, actually, when I was talking to him was like, what's it like to be the only guy on your team that's willing to shed the nets? Like yeah. you don't have any backup there and toughness. And, and again, dude, we're talking about something that does occur in the game. Fighting still occurs. So whether yes. we like it or not, it's there. It's a big time security blanket yeah. to have somebody that's a nuclear deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> the Ryan no, Reeves, it's, the Delorier's. Yeah. It's true. And it may not matter as much in a playoff series, I mean, it just depends on the matchup, but you're and mm-hmm. and really what you want to me, sometimes those guys are more important down the stretch run. You set a tone, maybe they aren't even in the lineup all the time in the playoffs or the, yeah. you're inserted at critical times. They don't have to play every night to have that kind of impact it. I don't know. You know, it's, it is going to be, cause here's, and I think it's fair, you know, if you're Bill Guerin, and I'm sure that Doug Armstrong was looking the same way in St. Louis at the trade deadline. Listen, we're probably going to play each other in the first round, or we're going to play a very tough Nashville team. Um, you know, are we ready for this kind of hockey? And I, I mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's early times, right? We're 10 days after the trade deadline, but like all of a sudden Minnesota back on track on fire, playing the way they did through the first half or two thirds of the season. And man, I'd see a lot of people looking at Minnesota because we, we did the round table last week. Okay. What's your Stanley cup final? Who could, mm-hmm. who could knock off Colorado? And I think a lot of people rightly so look at Minnesota now with the changes there with Marc-Andre Fleury and Nick Tellurier. That is that, is that a team to you that could they emerge from the West? Are they a team that could go toe to toe with Colorado in a seven game set likely in the second round? Yeah, I think there's only three teams that come out of the West. It's either Calgary, Minnesota, or Colorado. Okay, yeah. I, I don't see any other team competing with them. And then they all play, especially Minnesota and Calgary. Boy, I'd love to see a series between those two teams. Like They're both that same style. And, and you know, one of the moves that Garen made was sending Nico Sturm to Colorado, which, you know, ironically filled a void for them in a bit of bottom six, you know, yeah. toughness, hard play and picks up Tyson Jost who can really fly yeah. to speed his team up. And then he brings DeLorean. Like I, I thought Joe Sackick and Bill Guerin were just super savvy at the deadline and the moves yeah. they made. And it also shows to me why it's so silly to not be willing to trade with a potential rival. Like yeah, yeah. why can't the Flyers and Pittsburgh Penguins trade why can't the Islanders and the Rangers trade or the Rangers and the Devils? Like if you have a piece that's going to make your team better and somebody has interest in one, that a player of yours that they think will prove them do it. Yeah. Like why hold yourself back from improving your team? And I, I like that. I thought that was, I thought it was pretty savvy of both of those general managers. Um, and listen, like who knows what's going to happen. But boy, it'd be fun to watch that interplay, wouldn't it, in playoffs? <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, before we get to our uh, final moments here on this edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe, it's as my all weekly pleasure to remind everybody that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. So got any, any kind of uh, food agenda we should be aware of here as we hit midweek, uh, the week after uh-huh. trade deadline? 
Well, I made a chili last night that was too spicy for everybody. I was really proud of it too. <laughs> it was delicious. Uh, tonight I'm actually doing a, a roasted beet dish, a little vegetarian dinner with a ton of herbs and a little bit of tahini yogurt underneath. It's going to be nice. It's going to be a good dish, okay. but we do have big plans in the house for DoorDash because this weekend I'm headed to Allen, Texas to coach uh, the Blues Warriors, oh, our team nice. comprised of all veterans yeah. uh, with 10% disability rating or more. So I'll be there for a couple of days. And I know that Mrs. McKenna is going to be hitting the DoorDash button real fast. So nice. <laughs> they'll take care of us. And um, But really looking forward to that tournament. They're always yeah. a ton of fun, Scott. Is it, so is that in Allen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've I've been I've been to Allen, Texas. I was there during the twelve thirteen lockout. USA Hockey had their uh, Hall of Fame induction uh, ceremony that included Mike Medano um, in Dallas, and I did a piece because at one point there was a whole gaggle. Um, Mike Medano was part of it. Ed Belfour. Uh, Oh, uh, there were a whole bunch that were involved in the ownership of the Allen Americans. So I was up there, Craig mm-hmm. Ludwig, one of my pals who I spent a lot of time with my year in Dallas. Uh, he was, I he was like assistant general manager or something. He was like an executive. It was, it was hilarious to watch those guys. It was, mm-hmm. I was, in, it was at the arena in Allen, Texas, that I did see uh, up front and close Craig Ludwig's shin guards which were in a glass box, kind of like a case, just <laughs> telling me that the Hall of Fame with mood lighting around it. You no, know, with it's well, it's enormous because the shin pads were like you know siding pieces of siding. But he was telling me that the Hockey Hall of Fame had been making inquiries about getting them for their exhibits, and he, I think, his caveat was only when I go in. When I, you can have the shin guards, <laughs> but I got to go too. So, anyway, oh, come on, Craig. That's my Allen, Texas story. So, that's funny. I've never been there. My favorite Craig Ludwig story was when I think Pantera put him on a plane to Mexico during yes. playoffs, the band Pantera. And he went yes. to a concert and came back, and nobody knew about it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, what a character, man. Yeah, so, he's, well, you he's know, we've speaking of the league, um, the general manager's meeting has been taking place down in Florida this week. Yeah. And our own Frank Cervalli has been down there reporting live and wearing, you know, polo I loved your get up, by the way. I, I loved your outfit for the uh, show. A little simpatico with Frank being in Florida. You guys, you and Tyler, I think, had the, the beach garb on. Nice. We did. Yeah. Tyler Remchuk and I decided to. To, to really ring it in with Frank and we, we both wore Hawaiian shirts and sunglasses and we were just trying to have some fun on yesterday's show and it worked out really well. Uh, but some of the things that Frank's talked about uh, going on down there at the GM meetings, there's been a lot of talk about long-term IR and there hasn't been much movement on it. We found and I, and I always say it comes back to the players. How does it hurt their pocketbook? It's, it's a collectively bargained topic. I don't know how much traction there's going to be. It doesn't seem like there's, it's even split amongst GMs yeah. how they want to utilize it. Um, so that's one topic. Another one is potentially having a central registry for no trade lists, which yes. Scott, to me, I mean, can you believe we've gone this far 2022 without having a registry for no trade lists? And they had to go through the Donov debacle for this to be fixed. Yeah. Really? I, <laughs> what an oversight. Know. Well, see, I, I, I was I was looking forward to asking you about this because part of my if my understanding, part of the hesitancy has been that it's sort of a 
private thing. Not the no, if it's a straight, no move, no trade clause, it is what it is. And, yeah. you know, we see there are a bunch of, you know, Puckpedia and cat friendly, those, that information has been available. It's my sense of it is that from the player slash agent side of it, maybe teams too, that if you have a limited no trade, so whether it's a 10 team do not trade to, or a 10 team, I will agree to go to list. What that does, I think the, the fear is that there are certain teams that will almost always be on the, I do not want to go there list, mm-hmm. right? I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. It seems like Winnipeg, that's a hard place. For a long time, Edmonton, maybe it's changed a little bit with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl being there, but my sense is probably not. You know, Buffalo. Toronto, even. Toronto's, the Canadian teams, surprisingly, are often yeah. on those lists in part because of the tax issues, right? Like you're, I mean, the, the, it's a real thing, right? The tax rate between yeah. Canadian markets and states without tax, what Tennessee, Nevada, Florida, go down the list, Texas, Texas that's a, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I, my sense of it is that people were, well, you know, I don't want to, we don't want teams to be embarrassed or markets to be embarrassed. But that's going to come out now if they do have a registry uh, or it's likely to become much more common knowledge, not just the parameters, but the specifics of which teams are involved. Do you see a problem with that? Like, is that, as a player, is, do, do you want that information out there or does it matter, do you think? I would absolutely not want that information out there <laughs> yeah. because you will be vilified and <laughs> even worse than we already are on social media as players. So people will find any excuse to bury you. Uh, And and like, let's say you just have a random team on there. Like for some reason, you just simply don't want to play in, I don't know, Pittsburgh. Anaheim. I still don't understand Denhanov. Oh, I I understand that one. I I understand that a hundred percent. Oh, okay. There's one thing that there's one thing that players in general and, and I'll be frank here, like Russian players especially can't stand and it's losing it's escrow. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's and it's losing money. And if you go to play in California where the tax rate is higher, if you're going to establish residency, you're losing a lot on your contract oh, there. So okay. I think it's I think that's purely a money driven thing, I'm guessing. Like if I had to guess to Donov's list, I would say all the California teams, all the Canadian teams. And ironically he signed with Ottawa. But um I would not want that out there. Yeah. But this is where there has to be a system where you can like hermetically seal these things, these yeah. trade lists so that it doesn't get out. I cannot buy that. They can't create a system where yeah. only the parties that need to know those lists know them. Yeah. And, and leaks are going to happen. Like we actually find out some players have teams on no fly lists yeah. without you know, having to look at the paper, it, it gets out there. So yeah. I, I think it needs to happen. Like, cause I, I would much rather never face a situation like the Donovs again, than potentially run the risk of my list getting out there. Like, yeah. I mean, whatever, if the list gets out, okay. You, you're going to hate me in Toronto because I don't want to play for people that are going to crush me every time I allow a goal. Like that's my choice. Yeah. But the Donov was in purgatory for like three days and there was a lot of collateral damage, Yeah. you know, to Vegas, Ottawa looks terrible in this. I mean, the Ducks are about the only, even the league, man. Like, how did the league let this happen? Like, yeah. it's embarrassing. Like, and yeah. they just shoved it under the rug. Like, they made a statement and that was it. 
Well, and it's not, it, it, it may resurface again and our weekly Vegas Golden Knights discussion, um, you know, right now they're out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's going to be a mountainous climb for them because they have so few games left and, you know, at, at some point, if players come back, you know, off uh, LTIR, they're in cap hell. That was the whole point yeah. of the trade. And so whether it's Dodonoff or someone else from that lineup who may get traded in the coming days or weeks, and that will end their season because you can't play after you've been traded post deadline, that it's, it's, un, it's, it's a mess, right? And it's a oh, mess that yeah. <laughs> is carrying on for this team. So it's unfortunate. I would. Could you imagine being Dodonov coming back and he's been red hot? He's been red hot. He's been like he's keeping them in the playoff hunt, dude. And and I really want to give the fans of Vegas some credit here because Dodonov coming back into the lineup, the starting lineup after being traded, voided. He got the biggest ovation I've heard yeah. since Eichel came back and Flurry. Since Eichel returned and Flurry returned, yeah, and. I tell you what, man, it, it honestly almost felt like something of an FU to management in Vegas yes. by the fans. Yeah. Like I, that was my perception of it because yeah. the fans there love their players. They're very attached to their players. They, yeah. And as much as it's the brand, you're always attached to the brand, but man, they fell in love with flurry and all these other guys that have been traded out of town. And I, I, I think that in some ways, like, you know, the fans have gotten to the point now where they're still going to the building and they're supporting the players and they've started to disassociate between the two. Yeah. But they gave it to Donov a lift, no doubt in my mind. To hear those cheers after you've just been in hell for the last couple of days with your career, yeah. like, hell yeah, man. I'm That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. So, but imagine him getting traded now and his season ended. Like, imagine him still being the casualty to this whole thing when they need to get players back. I, I, I actually don't know if I could see it happening, but yeah. they're going to have I a hope. tough stretch. Dallas won last night, which was one of the games in hand, which, Man. boy, it's, it's going to be tough for Vegas to, to make it in. I think it's going to take either Dallas or Edmonton just falling off the map. True. That's what yeah. it's going to take. Yeah. Um, just before we close, uh, Nick mentioned uh, at, off the top uh, the passing of Eugene Melnick, mm-hmm. longtime owner of the Ottawa Senators, an organization you know well, um, and you know the landscape of the NHL. It's a you know Eugene Melnick's legacy in Ottawa is a complicated thing. He mm-hmm. Basically, saved the team out of bankruptcy when he purchased it in, in two thousand three, and um, you know latter years more ups and downs. Uh, still, lots of issues with that team and I and I'm and I thought Gary Batman handled it very well because he was asked of course at the GM's meetings because you know the big question is what you know what happens now what's the what's the state of the team he's got daughters who are college age so I mean there's there is a period of there will be a period of mourning of course mm-hmm. and, and then some uncertainty I think about what what's next for a team that has so much going for it on the ice in terms of their young players and, and what is possible, I think with the, the lineup after really being torn down to the studs. And then for me, the bigger question is uh, they have to find a new home. They have to, they cannot exist out in Canada, Canada or Nepean. It's in Canada. Canada. Yeah. They have to find a home closer to downtown. You know, that city, it's just, Outside of Arizona, it's the worst location of an arena in the NHL. So I'm curious about that. That's a lot to unpack, but you know that organization well. And I wonder what your, you know, what it was like for you when you heard that 
Eugene Melnick had passed. Well, it's so complicated with him because he saved a franchise. He was undeniably passionate. And, you know, the interactions I had with him were, well, kind of weird, I guess. But, like, he saved a team. They had good times underneath him. But he also, his lasting legacy is that he he alienated a fan base and every politician that could have made things happen for him. So, you know, with, with due respect to somebody who really impacted a lot of people in a positive way, I think there's some optimism here, though, that the Senator's franchise might get turned around in a good way. And, and what it all kind of comes down to here is what's going to happen with the franchise? Because as of now, everybody I've talked to in and around it says, OK, it's, it's been status quo business as usual. No problem. But if it's really set up to go to Melnick's daughters or his family that are, I mean, they're in college age, right? 20s. Like if you're looking at a 600 to $800 million cash out, do you really want an NHL franchise when you don't have much capital of your own and the team isn't presumably profitable right now? Yep. Uh, If I'm 25 years old and I got 300 million bucks sitting in front of me, and I got easy street staring me right in the face, that's an easy decision. And if that's what happens, no doubt in my mind that there are groups out there that would like to be, that would like to own the Ottawa senators and keep it in Ottawa uh, and, and make the LeBreton flats thing work, which would be a home run public transportation in and out. Like I still believe Ottawa could, Ottawa could even work in that God awful location if the team was good enough, but it'll never reach the peak of what it could in a downtown yeah. area. And, and gosh, man, like, you listen, we heard Nick Paul at the start, like there are so many passionate hockey fans in Ottawa and that's a market that deserves to have a team that succeeds and is at least, at least not losing every veteran player over yeah. the last five years. Cause that's what's happened. It happened with Nick Paul over a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. So I just, I hope it happens because I really enjoy that market. I think Ottawa is a fantastic city. Um, we'll see, but yeah. There's a lot that remains to be seen. There's still a lawsuit, billion dollar lawsuit pending. Like, Scott, I don't know how to gauge this one. And I think, let me ask this. How long do you think it's going to be before there's really some clarity and a real plan in place in Ottawa? Yeah, I think that's the, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, the passing of Eugene Melnick happened you know, a couple of days ago. And, sure. I mean, we're, it, 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 but it is, but, but everybody's honestly, been asking these questions, Scott. Yeah, no, this it's is just, real. Well, this is the immediate been, question. And we've been talking about ownership in that market for what, three or four years. It has been fans gathered to buy billboard space mm-hmm. to encourage Melnick to sell the team. I mean, that's yeah. it's So it's a real thing and it's, you, you want to be respectful but there, I think there is some urgency to this because, you know, I mean, what, what we're talking about, if this team can find a way to build an arena in the proper place in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, oh, not just in North city. America, it is, it's, 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 it's a beautiful city. It's a team and a fan base that deserves to be in a building in the right place. But the sooner this happens, the, the sooner than this team can can actually realize its vast potential. And mm-hmm. so every month or year that it stays out on the fringe of town where people have to fight traffic that is unbelievable and 
players don't want to be there or ownership can't afford mm-hmm. to keep them there, that, that's, then you're wasting time. And yes. this is a young team. I think the clock is ticking now because they, they could return to being a playoff team as soon as next year, you know, a contending team in the next two or three years. But, man, the clock is ticking. And, and, it, and it's ticking now in a more urgent fashion. Mm-hmm with the passing of Eugene Melnick. That's just the reality yeah. of that. So they're going to have to spend if they want to be better. You can't, you can't not spend on veteran players. You can't have one defenseman that can move the puck. You yeah. can't depend on just 23 year olds to do all your goal scoring. They have to spend. And I don't know how that happens currently, yeah. but it, it, I will say though, I, you know, we're not, you don't want to tap dance on somebody's grave here because no. this is a person who really made a big difference in that community. True. And, and, uh, and, as much as some of the experiences I had weren't great, it my life is better because I played in Ottawa by a yeah. long stretch. And I have that to thank him for. And you heard Nick Paul say a lot of similar things that, you know, he yeah. made a Eugene Melnick made a positive influence on a lot of people, especially on that charitable side. And, yeah. you know, we need to remember that. So um, somber for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think it probably gives a little bit of hope for the city of Ottawa as well. True. All right, my friend. Fine work, as always, by you. Next week, we will be in April. Next week, when we tape, the clock will truly be ticking uh, towards the playoffs. Can't wait. Um, I hope you have a great week, and I hope you have a great trip to Texas. Good luck with your squad, and uh, we'll expect a full report next week. Sounds good. This is, you know, Scott, this is one of my favorites. This was a great episode. I hope people enjoy it. (laughs) Have a great week. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.